Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. And I am so excited to embark on this adventure with all of our listeners and special guests. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds in the industry. From seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Interactions and Attractions. We are here today with two very special guests. We have, first of all, Dr. Diana Njai, and she is the Senior Curator and Cultural Heritage Specialist at the Center for Folk Life and Cultural Heritage at the Smithsonian Institution. She is also, I'm excited to say, a textile artist herself. She is joined by Hallie Butvin, who is the Director of Special Projects also at the Center for Folk Life and Cultural Heritage. Welcome both of you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having us. Great being here. Well, well, the first question, so this is for both of you. You know, when I read out your titles just now, you, you, you notice tour, the word tourism did not come up at all. T- the word tourism is not in your title. However, what you both do connects deeply to tourism. And so I was just wondering if you could tell the listeners a little bit about your work and how it relates, particularly to rural tourism. Yeah, so... So Carol, we we both work in cultural heritage, but specifically related to cultural practices that are living culture, things like the type of cooking food and the practices around it, around craft and the things that we make, the language and the stories that we tell. And so as part of our work, we research, document, and also present this cultural heritage. And the special projects that I work on are different programs that are related to working with communities who are trying to maintain and preserve and sustain for the next generation their cultural practices and their languages. And so when we talk to folks like artists about, you know, what are the big, you know, what are the, the big opportunities that you have, cultural heritage is a big word in tourism. Cultural tourism is really significant. And so how we represent ourselves is also a really big part of that. So over the last several years in particular um, at our center, we've just started getting a lot more active about it. We have a festival that presents cultural heritage. And so now we're working with communities and looking at that interaction between the living culture that we have in our communities and how that's presented to tourists. So that's kind of the big picture part of why we're doing this work and how we work in tourism. Amazing. Diana, how would you add to that? Yeah, well, also um, the festival uh, for a long time is one of the largest uh, festivals in terms of attracting tourists uh, from around the country and and also around the world. But on the other hand as well, uh, communities, uh, artists from 
uh, different cultural communities want to uh, know how to present themselves, how to tell their own stories. And the kind of tourism that our festival presents, the kind of work that we do in terms of researching, documenting, and uh, working with people in a public space uh, also helps the artists that we work with to learn how to present, represent themselves as they want to be represented to a public. And especially in, in rural areas, you know, you may have um, that uh, wonderful lady who makes the best preserves from the mango trees on her property. And as happened in the Bahamas, and uh, she wants to know, you know, if they do a little neighborhood festival and they want tourists to come out to that, you know, how would she present herself? And so those are the kinds of ways that what we do with the festival uh, really uh, connects with the tourism space and what we, how we like to work with communities. I want some mango jelly or jam. I want some right now. Me too. Um, and of course, you're talking about the Folk Life Festival that happens every summer on the National Mall up in D.C. Um, if anyone has not had an opportunity to to participate and attend that, that is it's really a, a experience of a lifetime. Um, everyone needs to go uh, at least once and uh, preferably more than once. Uh, we are so happy to be working with the Center for Folk Life and Cultural Heritage uh, with uh, the Uplift program. And recently, you all did some um, festival training sessions back in August. And I was hoping that you could tell the listeners a little bit about um, what happened there. Diana, why don't you go first and then Hallie? Okay, well, we had the wonderful opportunity of meeting... Uh, people who were interested in presenting festivals, uh, the directors of already established festivals, um, who wanted to learn more about cultural heritage and presenting cultural heritage um, at festivals. And um, we went to several uh, rural counties in... Um, in eastern and in, in central uh, North Carolina. And um, what we did was that we talked with them about what they were doing at their festivals, as well as talked about our practice. You know, some of the things we've learned over the 50 plus years of presenting the Smithsonian Folklife Festival and where those two things came together. So, um, Hallie. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Diana. I'll add that um, the workshops that we taught are kind of the culmination of several years of doing these kinds of workshops with communities and really recognizing the fact that community festivals, even if they're tiny and they're just for a community, they play a really important role in building relationships within the community. And when it comes to tourism, people can really feel that when they come into a community where there's um, where there are good relationships and where people are celebrating their cultural heritage and celebrating their place, um, that really translates into something that tourists actually really feel or any visitors that come into that community. So keeping that in mind, the workshop that we did, it's a one-day workshop and it really runs through 
A lot of best practices around festival making, as Diana mentioned, it takes the 50 years of the Folk Life Festival. We run through a lot of concepts around how to present cultural heritage, how to come up with a curatorial concept for your festival, which I hope we'll get into a little bit later, but also getting into some really practical pieces. How do you work with volunteers? How do you fundraise for a festival? You know, how do you design a site so that it really works for people? And, you know, how do you make sure that through this whole process, you're really engaging the community in a way that is strengthening relationships and not breaking them? And so we go through a lot of content. There's a lot of conversation. And, and I think we both learned a lot from the participants as well. It's really a, an awesome opportunity to be able to travel and to talk to folks that do this important work. Yeah, and it's so cool that all the information that you present in these workshops, and I was fortunate enough to go to one of them, is built, as you said, off of 50 years of experience doing this at such a, a grand scale. Um, now, Hallie, you mentioned curatorial concept. That is probably a phrase that's new to a lot of people. What is that all about? Well, I'll give a little bit of my own idea, but Diana has significantly more experience than I do in this space, but I have the opportunity to, we call curate, you know, normally you have a curator in a museum who's making exhibitions, they're working with a collection and they're just making decisions about what you present as part of a museum exhibition. Our curators for the festival, and when we think about creating a festival, what we're curating is actually what's going to be presented at the festival. So that's really looking at who are the community members, the artists, the musicians, who's cooking the food, who's going to be at that, you know, at that festival emceeing, who's telling the stories, who's on the stage, and putting a lot of thought into that and really kind of going through the process of thinking, what story do you actually want to tell to your audience by hosting this festival? You know, making it something that's cohesive that you know, the organizer, you've got a lot of volunteers that are making the festivals. What idea is it that they're going to rally around? What's the theme? And then who are the best people from the community to really present that theme to the public? So that's that what we call curating. It's really a series of decisions that you're making as a, as a team about what that festival is going to look like. Yeah, I think, Hallie, you've described it so beautifully. Uh, I guess I, what I would add is that when we think about curatorial concept, uh, we really are also talking about how, um, what makes the identity of the festival, what makes that festival and that festival for that year um, unique. And, 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 you know, what are the themes that people might want to focus on? I love that. So Hallie, um, I've got two important questions for you. These are balancing questions. The first one is, how does a festival planner balance innovation, but also tradition when they're developing a festival concept? Ooh, that is a great question because this kind of these competing ideas around tradition and innovation and cultural heritage are really important. I will say that one of the things that when we're talking about cultural heritage and especially this kind of living culture that we work with, it's really important to know that it's evolving and recognizing that it's not about, it's not necessarily about presenting a snapshot from the past. Of course, there are festivals that are presenting 
a reenactment of the of the past that's a different kind of festival and there's nothing wrong with that people love a reenactment or you know kind of like a historical representation of things but what we're talking about with this type of living culture festival is that you're looking at what's alive in the community today and so one of the things that you can really do to focus on balance is look at the different generations in your community what is it if you have elders in your community that have a certain type of thing that they're cooking or they're practicing or their stories that they tell and then go to youth in the community and see what are the kind of what are what are they doing what is their cultural heritage how do they spend their time and you can really balance that by making sure that you have what what we call multi-generational engagement which basically just means you've got families there you've got young kids you've got teenagers young adults parents grandparents and really that community participation is what you want for a vibrant festival and i think that's what can help you get to that kind of balance between tradition and innovation very cool so the second balance question is balancing financial sustainability, which you've got some great uh, stories, Hallie, about financial sustainability, um, but also a high quality festival. In essence, how do you uh, deliver a high quality festival on, on the budget that so many of these rural communities have? Yeah, well, financial sustainability, I will say one of the big lessons learned for us is you mentioned the scale of our festival. It is a much larger festival, it's huge, it's on the National Mall, it's for 10 days, but we struggle with the same issues that a lot of festival organizers face. We still gotta fundraise, we still gotta figure out how we're gonna cover all these costs for bringing it all together. And each year we have to ask ourselves these questions. And I think the answer to that is really about partnerships. So there's, you know, there's fundraising that you can do, but the extent to which you can, as a festival organizer, build partnerships with local businesses, with um, different kind of complementary entities, whether they're nonprofits. We talked to a lot of folks who got really creative about where they could find volunteers, going to the Boy Scouts, looking at what are the active kind of civil society organizations in your community that can come in and help you have all hands on deck and participate and really cut down on those costs. You can, share, you can share equipment with folks. You can have people contribute to the festival in kind if they don't have the financial resources to do so. And I think the last thing I would say is partner with other festival organizers because you all have the same needs. So there's certain things that if you partner with each other, you can share the costs of equipment, of rental, of materials, of things like that, and, and really work together. And that can help bring down the costs. I mean, I think the thing, the message, Carol, is really like for the financial sustainability is getting it manageable. You can always have your dream festival that you want to you want to build. And there's I encourage folks to dream big and to fundraise for that, but always have kind of a lower level tier budget of what you need to just get the job done. Because the important part is bringing people together rather than having every single flash and fancy little thing that you want to add. The biggest piece is actually having it and consistently having it, even if you have to cut some corners. Fantastic advice. Uh, Diana, thinking about some the smaller um, uh, festivals that you've attended or been a part of planning um, or, or communities that you work with who are planning a, a festival, small communities, how do they make their cultural story impactful 
through a one or two or three day event. Do you have any stories or examples you could share or best practices? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting that, um, well, as, as you mentioned, for the festival, um, it's kind of large scale, but in the end, we're dealing with individual people and we're dealing with uh, small communities. And um, when I, one of my favorite uh, festival programs, although they're all favorites, was um, one that we looked at African-American uh, dress and adornment. And what we did was that we partnered with uh, local community organizations to do the research. And what we did also was that we put an emphasis on intergenerational learning so that when we were just even at the research phase, we went to um, uh, church communities where they had youth programs. We went to local public schools. We went to other small organizations. One organization that put on a fashion show for fundraiser. Um, and we partnered with them. And again, that's you know the importance of partnership. Uh, we partnered with them uh, with some of the master artists, some of the master craftspeople that we were presenting. These were designers, they were milliners, they were tailors and dressmakers, shoemakers around the community. And uh, the young people interviewed the, um, these folks who were so important to their communities. And then when we came to the festival and presented them um, it was very much the idea of people getting together in community to talk to talk with each other and to have conversations with each other. And uh, there were two things we did. We did fashion shows, which were great. They're like visual concerts. But we also had the young people, again, interview um, these master artists on stage and of course, their families came out, visitors came out, um, and we incorporated the visitors into the program. We had something called Rock the Runway, where at the end of the day, we said, look, to the people who came to, to visit, whatever you're wearing, if you want to come out and show us your, you know, tell us your story, come out in style and, and show what you're wearing. You can do that. These are ways that we build connections between visitors and festival organizers and participants so that in the end, the festival is best when it's a conversation and it becomes a conversation between people. What a clever, clever uh, activity. I mean, I got chills when you were talking about the a visitor coming up and, and rocking the runway and telling their story. I love that. I, I, I want to ask both of you, what were your thoughts on some of the festivals or cultural stories, festival concepts or cultural stories that you heard that you were exposed to when you were in North Carolina? And then also, did you learn anything from these festival trainings, the people you met? Definitely. Um, there are so many unforgettable folks that are just like, 
I'm, you know, I'm thinking back to everything from like folks dressing up as Vikings for one of them, I remember, to learning really about agricultural festivals and and how folks organize around that. We met with the Lumbee community and their homecoming that they do. I feel like in, you know, and even thinking about just festivals that are there to celebrate a particular agricultural product. But what was clear from everybody that we talked about is that what they were presenting in the festival was something that was deeply important to them as a community. And the enthusiasm and passion that they exuded when they were talking about their festivals and the way that they do it and the teams that are all organized around it, I found particularly inspiring because it was it was just neat to see people bring that together and also get together in the same room. And I would say one of the things that I learned that I've already started sharing with other folks too is it's a really practical thing. Um, but there were a couple folks that have festivals that have big audiences and they were printing these books. And you know, I think so often we're like thinking of the digital age these days. But at the end of the day, small communities like businesses need to promote themselves. And so they were printing these books where they were selling ad space and that was contributing a huge amount of revenue for them to be able to actually maintain these festivals. And at the same time, building community because you have this book that you can go around and it has all these businesses that were from the surrounding counties and related to cultural heritage or not, right? Like these are people, the, the business owners are the people from the community. And so it was really interesting to me to see that as a tool, not just for fundraising, but also for community building and as a way to have something tangible that visitors to the festival could take. One of the things that I, I loved about uh, the being in North Carolina and talking to so many festival organizers was the diversity of the festival. There was no there were no repeats there were no, in all of the places that we went to. There was no festival you could say, oh, well, that could be substituted for, for the other. Um, and what was neat, uh, there were a couple of places where people were actually organizing tours that went from one place to another um, and uh, or organizing around holidays. I remember, for example, the Juneteenth Festival was being um, organized by one group. And, um, you know, the thing is that in the rural areas, uh, people think, oh, well, it'll just be agriculture, which is already big. But um, there are so many ways to celebrate what is really part of North Carolina's culture or cultures. Um, it can be cultural, it can be environmental, it can be historical. I love that. Um, so, so you all, I just have to thank you again from Uplift and from North Carolina to have the, the, the Center for Folk Life and Cultural Heritage from the Smithsonian Institution come down, talk with us about how to translate abstract and intangible culture and heritage into tangible products that um, our visitors, but moreover, our residents can enjoy and, um, and, and be inspired by. And, and you, did, you were able to convey that abstract knowledge as well as practical things like, how do you plan for a rain day? 
right? Like that was, that was a piece that I took away when you were talking about what, how do you plan for inclement rate, you know, weather, here are the things you need to think about. So you really ran the gamut of um, information uh, and things for us to think about. We're eager to get you back to North Carolina and rumor has it you might be coming back in the new year. Is that, is that, it's the word on the street right there? That is right. We're very excited. We've got our dates. Yep. Uh, we're going to be teaching workshops on creating tourism experiences. So one of the things that we talked about of how people can present themselves at festivals, we have an approach that we've been using with some great success with other communities that we're really excited to share and learn from folks in North Carolina. But basically what we're going to be doing is inviting artists, cooks, musicians, storytellers to come to our workshops in January. And we're going to run through a, a process where at the end of that workshop, you're going to have a concept that you can use to create a tourism experience, where you can actually invite visitors to come into your workshop or your studio or whatever space that you have and offer something very experiential, hands-on, immersive, an opportunity where people can learn and go in depth and get to know you a little bit and have a much more enriched experience of their visit to North Carolina. I can't wait. Um, well, we will be putting more information about that out on our Uplift website and in our newsletter and on social media. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that festivals are some of your favorite attractions. They're not only enjoyable, but they are essential. They're essential. They're essential. They're essential to tourism. They're essential for communities. They're so important. We can't, we can't emphasize that enough. Keep making festivals. <laughs> I love that. Any final words for North Carolina? North Carolina is an awesome place too. All of, yeah, keep creating opportunities for people to come and learn because I think that's what was one of the things that struck me is how rich cultural heritage is in North Carolina and how much people will really enjoy it if they come there. So I think creating more and more opportunities, especially for people to get out across the state, go to some places that aren't, maybe they haven't heard of before and learn new things. I think that's my big message is that the state is incredible. It's huge and it has so much to offer. Um, thank you for your time on the Interactions and Attractions Uplift podcast. This is fun. I love that y'all are doing this. That's all we have today on Interactions and Attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 04790769 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the U.S. Department of Commerce.